Gentlemen, welcome back to the Gird Up Podcast. I am Charlie Ungemach. I am the founder and curator of this awesome thing that we've got going on over here, uh, training men to be men of God and to prayers for lives of Christian service as men. Uh, if you are not following us on Instagram and Facebook, make sure you're doing that. All the information is at the end of the podcast and the outro. If you are not a member of our Facebook community, you got to get in there too. It's the, called the Gird Up Community. It's on Facebook. We're growing. We're still pretty small, but we're trying to get as many men as possible in that Facebook group. So we can uh, have a nice forum there, swapping ideas and wisdom and guidance, um, prayer requests, problems, wins, all that kind of stuff. A good place for men to connect with each other, do some networking, and grow as men together. Uh, third thing is a reminder that if you, the Lord lays it on your heart to to support this podcast financially, you can do that one of two ways. You can either sponsor episodes of the podcast, get some advertising out for you or your organization or your company. This particular episode is sponsored by um, Pastor Paul Steinberg and his uh, podcast, The Christ for Disciplers podcast, which you'll hear about in just a second. Um, but the uh, if you want to do that, if you want to sponsor an episode of the podcast, get a hold of me, let me know, and we'll work out the details. Um, if you do not want to sponsor but you want to uh, support the podcast or the ministry financially, you can do that via Patreon. <laughs> Um, and you can find all the information at the end of the podcast as well. It can be a one-time gift, uh, a uh, repeating gift, monthly gift, yearly gift, whatever it is. Um, anything that you can throw our way uh, makes it easier for us to put out good content for you. Um, we never charge you for this podcast. All the information is free. All the materials are free. So if you uh, want to help us bring the message of the gospel a message of Christian manhood to men and boys all over the world. That's the best way to do it. Um, helps us keep up-to-date equipment and all the subscriptions and fees and everything that are involved with making uh, podcasts public to the world. Um, it helps us out with all of that. Um, finally, guys, there is a men's uh, conference coming up on March 23rd. If you're local to the Wisconsin area or the Midwest area, there's a men's conference coming up in Exonia, Wisconsin, called the Iron Men of God Conference. We'll be there. I'm really excited about it. The more we talk about it, the more I learn about this thing, I'm, the more excited I get about it. And I'm really looking forward to some time with other men of God. Just the opportunity to listen to some of these men and the wisdom that they have to share is an, an absolute awesome opportunity. Um, plus, to me, there's nothing more beautiful than the sound of hundreds of men raising their voices in song, particularly when they're raising their voices in, in praise and worship to their Heavenly Father. And I look forward to it every time. Um, today's episode is with an interview with Mr. Pastor Professor Dr. Mark Paustian. Um, talking about relationships and communication and all the good things that come along with it. So uh, with no further ado, you're going to hear an advertisement for the Christ for Disciplers podcast, and we're going to get into our content for the day today. Here we go. Today's Gird Up podcast is sponsored by the Christ for Disciples podcast. I'm Pastor Paul Steinberg, son of Ken, father of six, including five sons. Each weekday on the Christ for Disciples podcast, I apply God's word to raising the next generation. If you are a parent, teacher, mentor, coach, or all of them, or have any other connection to children, consider taking just 10 minutes, 600 seconds a day, to listen to Christ for Disciples and get direction and gospel power to disciple the youngest generation. Subscribe to the Christ for Disciples podcast by going to ChristForDisciples.com or searching for Christ for Disciples on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and all those other podcast providers. Every weekday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, take just 600 seconds so Christ won't take second in your life or the life of your children. Listen on the way to work or school or while making breakfast. Christ for Disciples podcast, empowering with the one who changes our children. Make it the best 
10 minutes of the day. Christ for Disciples podcast. Blessings to you. You are listening to the Gird Up podcast. To gird up is an ancient way of preparing oneself for hard work or a battle ahead. Our work is to reclaim masculinity in the modern world and to live out our calling as men of God. Here you will find a community of believers working hard to become the men that God created us to be. Now it's time to roll up your sleeves and let's get to work. All right. Our super special guest today is Professor, Dr. Pastor, Reverend Mark Paustian. Um, joining us from New Ulm, Minnesota. Well, I've never uh, been called all that before. <laughs> <laughs> Not all at the same time, huh? <laughs> no, 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 no. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very fine. How are you doing? I'm great. Um, so you've been on the podcast before. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about all kinds of things from um, lifelong learning to communication to finding your calling and your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's been a while. So I, I would love to have a quick update on, on all things Mark Paustian. What's going on, man? Oh, well, I have uh, two weddings coming up next summer, so both my girls are getting getting married soon, so that's kind of dominating our life, you know, <laughs> all the wedding talk. <laughs> um, I'm trying to write a book. It's kind of kicking my butt right now, but I'm trying to write a book on, on worship. Um, meant to come out with a new hymnal. It'll be a couple years from now, but a book of just on meditations about what makes Lutheran worship unique. And so it's going to go through, you know, all the seasons of the church here, all the different aspects of the common service, you know, absolution and just everything. And uh, so it's a lot of fun to, to be thinking about that kind of stuff. It's not an easy task. I'm a slow writer. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that's been the obsession for the last few months. All right. And you finished up your doctorate for, for real and got some awards too, right? But what was your doctorate? Like, what was your doctoral thesis? Oh, you should you should never ask a PhD student about his thesis if you want a short conversation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been a couple of years now. Um, my thesis was essentially about a kind of communication that um, I found discussed in Soren Kierkegaard, a Lutheran philosopher who was widely misunderstood. <laughs> um, and uh, taking that idea, it's called indirect communication, and tracking that idea through the Old Testament. Because I have that other, you know, aspect to my life, which is the Hebrew stuff, um, biblical Hebrew. So looking for an idea about how to communicate when people are resistant, when they think they already know, you know, how do you sneak a message in? So it's sort of like, why, why does the Bible come in the forms that it comes? Why, why story? You know, why, mm. why poet, why poetry? Why, why history? Why, why, why images? You know, why ap- apocalyptic visions and, and um, just a really cool study. I mean, it was just it was just tons of fun. You know, you always say you got to find a topic for a dissertation that's not going to bore you, and this one just didn't. <laughs> it just remains fascinating. So, so yeah, that's that's uh, that's what that's about. Cool. Yeah, it's kind of a cool connection between you know, like you said, the two different uh, two different passions kind of meeting head to head too. That's cool. Oh, that's, ex- that's exactly what it was. I brought my two worlds together in a way I could not have imagined before. So yeah. Thanks for asking. Awesome. Hey, absolutely. <laughs> so uh, you talked about how you've got uh, two weddings coming up this summer, which is a uh, daunting <laughs> idea to think <laughs> about putting two weddings together, two daughters uh, in one summer. Um, but you also have are married to your beautiful wife, Connie, who is a shining light to anyone who who, who interacts with her. <laughs> yes, yeah, she um, sure she's is. She's wonderful. 
Yeah. Um, and uh, <laughs> and uh, she. So we're going to talk about relationships today is where I'm trying to go with this. Um, and, and you're qualified to talk about it on two fronts is that, <laughs> um, you've studied it and you've lived it. Um, so well, I, let's get into it, man. We're, we're talking about communication in relationships. Okay. I got a funny story for you, Charlie. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, you know, on the campus of Martin Luther College or, or in our community here, there is now and then these things we call spam gatherings. So that just means the future pastor students get together, you know, and, and they have a meal and they have entertainment and it's just this really neat tradition. So we were at one just last Sunday, just uh, just last weekend. And um, the tutors did some entertainment and it was all about faculty Pokemon cards. Okay. So <laughs> if you get the premise, <laughs> and it was really nicely done with visuals and stuff. So here's all our Pokemon cards. And and um, my my Pokemon fighting skill <laughs> is marriage shaming. So that means, <laughs> that means that means I make my marriage sound so good that everybody else thinks it is terrible. <laughs> it's so funny. But uh, I, to segue to our topic, I think I know where that comes from. Um, and and first of all, my marriage is not perfect, and I am I am as broken as anybody. And you know, we just talked about that before we hit record. But what I what I have done, just for years and years and years, um, I speak highly of her, and I do it genuinely. It's not like I tell myself to, but I speak highly of her because um, I was probably fifteen, no longer, twenty five years ago maybe. I heard a faculty member, a wonderful theologian, talking about the way the members of the Trinity communicate with each other. You know how there's just not a word mm. that passes between Father and Son that is not honoring you know this is my son whom i love listen to him and everything jesus does is throwing it right back to the father and the spirit exists to point a finger at the son and say everybody look at this son of god you know and so but but my friend uh, was talking about this very thing um certain communication principles the best of them that we can actually find rooted in the trinity and uh, i know you and i talked uh, one time about uh you enjoyed the book of ruth and the character of boaz and yeah. chap chapter two of Ruth is where you just see this on display, where that quality of divine communication shows up in that chapter. Um, one scholar, I think uh, the name doesn't matter, he, he uses the word charisma in his own kind of unique way. And by charisma, he means the seeing, always seeing and speaking to the best in the other person, always seeing and speaking to the best. And uh, that's exactly what you see in Ruth and Boaz. And to a, just this stunning, elegant, beautiful degree, Boaz's kindness drops Ruth on her knees because of the relief of him speaking to her as one who truly sees her value. She truly sees what she's done in chapter one. And, and so it's just a cool thing to, to contemplate how communication is modeled. Um, obviously, to a degree, we'll never, we'll never emulate but we can, you know, we can imitate. That's what Ephesians 5 says. We imitate Christ and live a life of love. So, you know, whenever I'm thinking about my wife and, and I'm in classes talking about communication, so just marriage is often in the back background of our thoughts, you know. And if I, if I think to say or not say this good thing, how proud I am of her and just how what a lovely person she is, I always just think for this reason, I'm going to go and say it. I'm just going to say it and and I think that's how I've got the reputation. So kids will go by my wife's <laughs> counter in the morning and say, oh, your husband loves you so much. 
you know, <laughs> and, and, and I do, and I, and I do. And, uh, so I don't want to dominate the conversation, Charlie. I have, I have more places to take this, but you go ahead and make it a conversation. Oh. Well, I mean, my only, my only thought as you were saying that was, um, like you think about some of the risky behavior that Ruth kind of underwent in order to attract Boaz's attention, you know, um, oh, yeah. everything from like being a widow who's going out into the field and take, frankly, taking more than she should, um, with his blessing, but she didn't necessarily, necessarily know that. Um, and then like meeting him behind the grain pile, you know, and, and show. <laughs> You know, yourself in next to him in the middle of the night a, like that is pretty risky it's a good example oh yeah I mean, I mean i was doing this a bible class on that chapter one time and one of the ladies in the church just thought my goodness this is scandalous would you ever tell your daughter to do that present yourself yeah. to a man in the middle of the night i mean what in the world but then and i had to kind of step back and think why why has that not bothered me and i think it's because boaz chooses that moment of all moments to say, all the people of my town know your character. So it just didn't occur to Boaz to question it at all. In fact, he chooses that moment to exalt her, her reputation, you know, so it's fascinating stuff. It's another example of, he, he sees, he sees her, he sees the best of her, best in her, he understands the sacrifice she made, leaving her home and so on. And so, yeah, you know, I recently, you know, interrupt me, Charlie, because <laughs> I'll just start rolling. <laughs> no, but, go uh, ahead. Not that long ago, I came across a study, and the study was of long-term marriages. So I think it was like a 25-year-plus window. So long-term marriages that can say that they enjoy deep satisfaction. And the study was comparing couples that can say that with couples that cannot say that. And it was a massive study, and it was just looking at what kind of talk – um, showed up in the marriages of couples that could report being still really happy together versus what kind of talk did not show up in the other relationships that just couldn't report that. And three things came from that study. And one of them we've kind of already talked about. So the one of them is to appreciate each other. So that is not just to feel it, not just to think it now and then, but actually to put into words. So it kind of goes back to the way people communicate when they're in courtship and when they're dating, when, they, when they're in that position, then they do talk this way. They do it naturally. And mm -hmm. I think the, re the mm -hmm. reason they do is because, you know, if I want to win somebody's love, I know how to treat them, right? I mean, if, if my kids right. want to ask me for a whatever, you know, an allowance, they know how to treat me. They, they know how to act. It's not like some mystery, you know? And so right. yeah. <laughs> it's, it's like when we, when we see the value of another human being when we actually still are open to and eyes are on their value, then uh, I'm kind of repeating myself, but there's no rocket science here to how I would treat them. And so it's like, I heard a, a man speaking about this. It's a corny illustration, but he, he, he pulled out a violin and it's, you know, we've all seen violins. What, what's the big deal? But then he, he calls an audience member to look in through the, whatever the cracks are called in the front of the violin and, and she re and she reads the word Stradivarius, all right. And the whole the whole crowd goes, oh, you know, Stradivarius, because now they suddenly see its value in this multi million dollar instrument. Oh, you know, yeah. Right? And 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 so he passes it around the audience, and he makes this very point. He says, "I don't have to tell you how to handle it. I don't have to tell you how to um how to attend to it. I don't have to tell you what care. I don't have to tell you any of that. 
all you have to do is that I've shown you the value. And, and now, and now this is just simply what you do. And he actually used the word, used the sound of the audience going, ah, he used that sound to talk about the word honor, honor, you know, and oh, yeah. the, the Bible saying honor one another. And so, so back to the, to the research. So of the three things, one of them was to do that. One of them was to actually put into words your appreciation for the person that you're with. You know, I, so telling my wife, I, you know, I just haven't been alone in the last 30, you know, 32 years or whatever, however, however long it's been, you know, and I know how easy my life is, how much less heavy it is because of you. And, and, um, I still see you and I still see what you do for me. And I am still, I'm still thrilled to be with you. So that's one couples that were happy with each other long-term. It's such a simple thing to say, but it's the kind of yeah. communication that sort of evaporates, I think in many, many long-term relationships. Are so, you familiar with the legend of the 10 cow wife? Are you familiar with that? No. You ever heard that? Go ahead and tell me. So there's, I think it's, I think it's Hawaiian. I think is where it's origin. But so, um, the, the legend goes, there's a, um, you know, a native people in Hawaii. I'm pretty sure it's Hawaii. There's a native people in Hawaii. Um, and they're, you know, the tradition of the dowry is like a cow, um, for, for a girl, right? Um, mm -hmm. and then if it's a, like, if she's a, she's a very attractive, desirable woman, maybe it's two cows and like the most, you know, if it's, if, it, if she's like, you know, just like a knockout in every way, you know, mm -hmm. then like you could maybe get up to three cows, you know, but that was unheard of. And, uh, so one day there's this white businessman, a European man who comes, comes into the village, um, and walks up to the chief who has two daughters. One of the younger one is, you know, beautiful she's charming she can cook she she like prevents her, presents herself well she's disciplined like everyone she's you know she's the she's the prize in town right and all the men of the town are trying to earn her um and then he's got an older daughter who's very homely and she's not incredibly attractive you know she's quiet she stays around the house um and a lot of people don't assign a lot of value to her um besides the fact that she's the chief's daughter and so um this white man comes to town and says to the chief, I want to marry your daughter. And everyone assumed that he's talking about the younger daughter that's so desirable, right? And the, uh, the chief says, well, how much, how much will you give me for my daughter? Like, how many cows will you give me? And he comes out and he says, I will give you 10 cows for your daughter. And everyone in the village is, is shocked and surprised. And they're singing their praises of how beautiful this younger daughter is and all that. Um, and all of a sudden, the white businessman stops him and says, wait. That I'm not talking about that daughter. I'd like to marry your older daughter. And everybody again is shocked. Like, why would you want to marry her? She's not worth 10 cows. And, uh, but he marries her and he gives his, gives her father the 10 cows. And then they go off back to Europe, wherever he's from. And they're gone for years. And they come back, you know, a decade later. And, uh, everybody sees this business when they recognize him and, and, and he shows up with a woman that they don't even, they have no, they have no idea who she is. They don't recognize her. She looks like she's probably a native, but they have no idea who she is. And, uh, the, the, the girl says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the daughter of the chief. Like I, I'm the, I'm the woman that you, that you had for so long. Um, and you don't even recognize me. And they said, no, you're, you're strong. You're beautiful. You're, you're, um, confident. You can communicate well. Like, Everything that we didn't like about you is gone now. And uh, she says, well, he treated me like a 10-cow wife, and that's what I became. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's awesome. I have to use that story, but maybe recast it and not have it be cows. I'm just <laughs> trying to think of <laughs> diamonds or something. I don't know. But no, no, I, I love the premise of that. And 
and of course it brings to mind the the opposite example of of someone who is not treated that way you know uh, someone who has lost the sight of the value of the person that god brought to him and and maybe not abusive necessarily but just lacking in that quality and how a person a woman is just gonna not thrive you know he's just going to not thrive and nor will he, nor will he get what he what he's looking for that way either so it's yeah right. it's fascinating stuff so there are two other messages so one was just what we've said appreciating honoring um keeping your eyes on the worth and value um which which of course originates in the gospel of god the the mystery of god seeing any value in us worth the price of his son right I mean, we were worthless in our sin but yet he paid this enormous price and so that that has to be in some level the source of this the source of still looking at a person and not seeing Stradivarius, but you know, seeing child of God is what's written yeah. inside inside that person. And holy cow, how valuable is that to you? You know, so that's the first message. <laughs> Just to the secular research, marriages that were happy had this appreciation going on. Um, the other one, uh, another one, is really interesting. It's it's simply reminiscing. So now we're talking about a couple, like I'm married, you know, thirty years, whatever. A couple that have conversations that begin with. Hey, remember that time, you know, and and uh, the, yeah. the the line in the study was simply, they remember how bonded they are, so they remember how bonded they are by having that that reminiscing conversation, you know. You just think about the kind of history two people build up together over the course of, you know, twenty five or thirty years, and happy couples talk about that, you know. Um, it, it was just interesting. My my wife and I got away for a twenty fifth anniversary thing in san antonio that they do for pastors in the in the wells here yeah and it was it really was uh, getting back to that kind of talk and and what's so interesting about this is it doesn't take a lot of words right um somebody is called a happy marriage is is an essential secret so that just means i can't tell anybody about what you would call um love acting across time how can i possibly communicate to you what 25, 30 years of happy marriages. You just can't. Now I can see another couple and the ancient, the ancient said like is known by like. So I can see in them that they have something like I have, but you can't communicate it. But, but to each other, you can. So in a very compact way, all I have to say is, Hey, remember that? Boy, I'm almost crying just thinking about it. <laughs> remember that <laughs> breakfast we had, the breakfast we had at McDonald's the day Hannah was born. That's all I gotta say, uh, and and it's all it's all coming back. It's it's all there, you know. So remembering how bonded we are, reminiscing. Hey, remember that time? Um, it's just a really it's a really cool insight. It just sounds so simple from the outside, but it, it does get at that essential secret that marriages, um, like. And, and kind of my other point here. There's there's one more message or kind of message, but. It's how all this can be baptized, so so to speak, baptized so wonderfully in a Christian context. So it's not just you I appreciate. I say would say to my bride, it's 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 you know Luther called Katie <laughs> the woman God put in my arms, you know. And so there's mm. that his his sense of vocation, his sense of calling, his sense of God putting on his wife and wearing her like a mask and seeing to seeing to his need, you know. And so it's it's God that I appreciate. It's the one who gave you to me that I'm that I am praising. And so the reminiscing too is so easily set into a into a entirely Christian frame. We're not just reminiscing about 
this or that thing that happened between us, you know, we're reminiscing about the grace of God we've come to know together across a life, a life of worship, yeah. and, you know, and all the forgiveness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so I, I tell students, please don't let me marriage shame you because we are not perfect. <laughs> we, but we, but the, but we're able to be sorry and forgive each other, you know, and we're able to say we are not disappointed in each other. Uh, even over 30 years or whatever, we're, 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 um, able to say we each live with someone that doesn't hold our sins against us, you know? And so the reminiscing is mm -hmm. a reminiscing, a reminiscing about grace, um, to together learn, together known, you know, together understood. And the third kind of message, so we have reminiscing, we have appreciating. And the third one is also what my wife and I enjoyed in San Antonio, just this kind of little retreat getaway, slow down, talk to each other. You know, it's, it's to share hopes and dreams. And so this one does also get back to how young couples who are dating and courting and trying to win each other's hearts and knowing how to do that, you know, it's not, it's not a mystery. Um, but then still years later, 25, 30 years later, still, still sharing hopes and dreams, what I would still love to get to experience in my life, where I would still love to have my journey go, you know, because if we still talk in those terms, then we can support each other. Then, oh, I want that for you. And you want this for me. And we can still be together in that looking forward. And, and so, um, what really is cool. So I've mentioned a colleague who pointed out that appreciation is something you can just find rooted in the Trinity itself. Well, the other two as well. I think about Jesus' high priestly prayer the night before the cross. I think about certain Psalms that we know are the voice of Christ, like Psalm 16, the resurrection Psalm. All these things are, these three things are there, you know, Christ speaking to the Father about the glory we had before the world began, Christ speaking to the Father about the dream of sharing that glory with these, <laughs> this miserable human race, but then we're going to show that glory to them, Father, and they're going to know how much you've loved them just as you've loved me. And, and Christ speaking of the eternal pleasures at your right hand in Psalm 16 that, that are ahead for us. And it's, it's just, it's all there, which is just so interesting. Um, and so all, all of these simple, simple ways of communicating, ways young couples just do instinctively because of the value that they see each other, that these all have that sort of stamp on them, you know, and we could, we could add to those three just from that research, what happened, what the research happened to uncover. We could add certain things like from Ruth, the, the speaking to the fears of each other might be a fourth kind of way of talking. Um, true, the true depths of biblical encouragement is speaking to the fears of each other. That happens in Ruth chapter two. Um, when Boaz first begins to take care of Ruth in an unprecedented way because he sees her sacrifice. Um, and then there is the two I've already kind of mentioned, the, the, the message of being sorry. You know, you did not deserve what I just said, whatever, mm. you know, and yeah. the message, and the message of, you know, I forgive you freely, fully from the heart. I forgive you. I release you. You don't carry a debt with me. You don't carry, you know. So um, I did a marriage. This is all kind of coming to me because I did a marriage a retreat about this time last year. I'd never done one before. But it became just a study of Ruth. And um, we teased out all six of these messages. And then we created lots of time for couples to, you know, just be off by themselves and just start some talk. And it was, it was just so heartwarming watching these people connect with each other, you know, tears in their eyes just to be side by side after how many years of marriage. 
Yeah. Kind kind of reclaiming something. And so, you know, the the third message, sharing hopes and dreams, there too. There's just no big leap to, to cast that in a Christian frame. We dream for something way bigger than this world. You know, we dream way farther than that. Um, and you know what I mean? So <laughs> a life beyond this life, it is life and all vouchsafed for us through Christ his son. So there's, you know, there's lots of approaches to the question of how to communicate in marriage. I think this is right. just such a, such a simple thing with, with a well, lot standing, standing behind it, you know. And I think the, the thing to remember too, as, especially as you're talking about, uh, the third idea there of just like slowing down and talking and sharing and those dreams and everything mm-hmm. is the reality that it has to be built on a foundation. Like you can't have those exciting hopes and dreams and whatever and be talking to the future if it's not something that you're thinking about or, or that you care about. So there's a lot of like, we look at the world around us right now, kind of tying it into the masculinity theme here is like, mm-hmm. if you look at the world around us, um, I don't remember who said it, but, you know, the idea, there's two quotes that pop into my mind is most men live lives of quiet desperation. Um, and then the, the other quote that pops into my mind is that most men die at the age of 20 and aren't buried, uh, for another 70 years, right? Um, and <laughs> yeah, the reality the that, one, I'm sorry, I think the first one might be thorough, but I'm not totally positive. So I'm sorry, yeah, keep going. <laughs> it probably is. <laughs> but, uh, so like the idea that if you're not like emotionally and spiritually healthy, you can't be uh, the leader that takes the, your marriage and your life in that direction. Now, if, if you are living a life of quiet desperation, if you are, you know, broken and lifeless, um, I mean, we're all broken, but if, if you're living like a, without any passion, without any fire, without any life, you can't take that step forward, um, and, and lead that kind of a conversation. So, um, understanding that even just like the basic communication in your life and in your marriage has to be like founded in spiritual and emotional health. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And it's kind of why, you know, I was mentioning worship before. It's kind of why. I really love what Luther said about um, every home a true church. I mean, if if we're not going to actually carve out the spaces where that can happen, you know, whether it be a supper table devotion or whatever it is, or or even you know our habit of worshiping corporately, that's the place where the communication um, can be rich and can begin to a- approach in some dim way what it's meant to be. If we're just going to live our busy, frenetically busy, crazy lives and just leave to chance, whether this is any time we actually talk to each other, well, we're not going to. It's going to become, you know, the couples in the study that were, were not happy with each other after years of marriage, you know, they, the talk was what you'd expect. The talk was to talk about the kids and the bills and the sharing the cars and whatever, mm-hmm. you know, the same yeah. kind of talk that the other couples had. But it was just, if you don't carve out that little oasis, that little island of, communication that is going to be as rich as it can be with the Bible open and, you know, a little bit of prayer together, then when's it going to happen? Right. I mean, right. we all know, we all know the lifestyle has taken hold and, and there, there's the masculine thing. I mean, there's the, there's the, the spiritual godly man saying it is on me. It is on me to make this home a true church. It is on, it is on me and no one but me. I will answer to God for the way I've led my family to Christ or didn't. And, and that is not to put a, put a law guilt cast on this. It's, it's what happens when a man, let's say, realizes he's not led his family. As I look at my life and see failure, you know, all across the board, 
and then discover again, as if I've never heard it before, that I am, that I am forgiven for that, that there's grace for that out of, out of that freedom and out of that kind of stunned awareness again about what the forgiveness of sins is and, and what it costs. That's where the power comes from to say, you know, I, I want my home to be a church. Um, I want to right. carve out what are, what is the regular habitual time where we don't we don't look at each other and ask each other should we open our Bible or not? It's just what you do. You, you don't yeah. leave it to chance like that. This is what we do at supper, and you know, um, it doesn't you know it doesn't all depend on do I happen to have the energy this day on you know, this particular day. If it's just that we open the Bible and read a few verses and just quietly sit there in, in silence for a few moments, this is totally okay. Right? There's no law that governs how this has to be done. But we're creating a place where it can happen. You know? Um, yeah. You want to hear a funny story? I, I don't know how we're yeah, going go too ahead. long. <laughs> um, oh, no, we're good. <clears throat> okay, so it's it's a good story for me to, to step back from any marriage shaming because it makes me look ridiculous. Uh, which is good. Okay, so so my wife and I were watching. Oh, this is so embarrassing. We were watching a movie, the the Mel Gibson movie, The Passion of the Christ. Yes, yeah? yes, yeah. Okay, and I had seen it in a theater, and I knew how brutal it was, and she hadn't seen it. Mm -hmm. And so we're just getting to the scourging scene, and you know how how ugh, how awful that is, right? And so yeah. we're just getting. It's just about to start, and and she says, um. If it gets bad, I'm just going to close my eyes. I'm just going to turn away. And I, I was thinking, oh, my goodness. <laughs> and what I said came out the wrong way was I said, we might as well not watch it then. I'm trying to say to her, you know, you don't know how brutal this is. The rest of the movie, <laughs> the rest of the movie, you're not going to be able to watch. And, and I should have been thinking, you know, the sensitive woman does not want to see this happen to her savior, you know, even in movie form. But right. it came, it, but it came out harsh. And, you know, it came out like, well, let's not watch it then. And right. so we had this little moment, which was what all couples have, you know. And I, I, boy, of all the things to argue about, <laughs> of all the things to argue, <laughs> that's what's that's what's so absurd. Communication PhD here, you know, um, telling her how she should feel, and you know, I didn't mean this, I meant that, you know, being defensive, and she should she shouldn't feel that way, she should feel this way. All this nonsense that creeps into creeps into those moments, right? Well, so. So we never did watch it. Never did watch it. Never. Oh, no. And 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 so I don't know. Eight years later, maybe eight years later, we're at the supper table, and I got Connie across from me, and I got girls on either side of me, right. And I think one of the kids just innocently brought up that movie, right, The Passion of the Christ. Uh -huh. And I, you know, I looked across the table, and and uh, something possessed me to just say, you know what? I don't even know if I ever said I was sorry about that. That's what I said. And uh, when I tell the story to students, I always say, do you think she knows what I'm talking about? <laughs> do you think she remembers? <laughs> she knows. She knows. And she looks across the table at me and she, she's really, you know, she's such a warm, funny person. But she looks across the table with tears in her eyes with a big smile, big gorgeous smile and just says, I forgive you. And gosh, I wasn't expecting this to happen. You know, I get tears in my eyes and I, wasn't yeah. counting on that, and the and the kids are like, "Would you guys please get a room?" You know, the kids are just <laughs> just <laughs> suffering through this torturous moment. <laughs> but, but that's what's, that's what's so crazy, you know. 
the the way we usually play out this kind of movie in our in our relationships is okay so we had this moment and we're now we're cold to each other now we're distant from each other and so now we're going to have a few hours like that and then we're going to kind of gradually get over it kind of gradually warm up to each other right maybe someone mm-hmm. four hours later says a little dumb joke and the other person laughs and that's how they signal that we're okay that's how they kind of do that negotiation right we're okay we're laughing again and and you know you can just think well this this is okay. This is how we roll, you know, this, <laughs> and, and not realize that there was, there was something unsaid and there was a, there was a really powerful thing unsaid. And the unsaid thing was, I don't know if I ever told you I'm sorry. And the unsaid thing is, and I forgive you with, with, uh, you know, the death of God's son behind that. This is a powerful, powerful thing to say to tr- truly let somebody go, to truly release them from, the burden, you know. So it just goes to, again, from the outside, how do you tell someone about the meaning of moments like that? You know, it's just, it's just not a thing you can communicate, but people that have, that have experienced it understand it. Like is known by like. We actually can, um, together celebrate our, the grace we've known in our relationships. So anyway, that's, that's, that's a stepping back from the marriage shaming. You can, all your listeners can know what a <laughs> ridiculous person I can be in spite of all my studying. Yeah, absolutely. So <laughs> you talked about um I appreciate you sharing too. Like that it's it me it is more impactful when it comes from a personal space of you just talking about, you know, how how your marriage goes and I appreciate that that transparency. Um but you were talking uh, earlier about you know the idea that many couples experience and especially in the honeymoon phases they they do experience this kind of conversation and and this kind of relationship or or you know per, when they're still pursuing each other and and yeah. trying to you know convince each other they're going to be good lifelong mates <laughs> they have these kind of you have this kind of communication they have this kind of you know passion for each other um but a lot of times it goes away so what's what's going on why does it go away and how do we get it back well um yeah, I let me let me click my thoughts here. It's it's one of the really miserable things I think about us as sinners, the very dynamic we're talking about, and that is that when I see the value of something, I I know how to pursue it, and I and so the young man sees this woman he considers to be beautiful and a prize and a catch, right? And, and um, the communication in, in that space just kind of pours out of him right just by virtue of seeing her in those eyes and the the really terrible thing about human nature one of the really destructive things to intimate relationships then is when once he has her once he has her and she has committed herself to him and she's made the promise and once he has her that uh, in his immaturity he will tend to lose sight of that thing that value that he once saw and and so I think the communication just sort of stops in, in a certain way. You know, um when he was pursuing her and he had the euphoric happiness of of you know f- finding this communication just pour out of him. He finds himself, you know, all the personal barriers have fallen down and I don't know where I and in this person begins, he experiences a euphoria of being in love. And he thinks 
this is who I am now. I mean, as the communication pours out of him and just appreciation, it's just, it's just is how he's talking. And he's an open book and he, he's transparent and he's describing all his feelings to her. And, and he, he just didn't know he could be this kind of guy, right? It's just, and then he wins her heart and then time goes on. And then just in that immaturity, there's no longer pursuing her because he has her. And, and I'm repeating myself over and over now. Then, and, and he loses sight of the value. And, and there, therefore, yeah, therefore the pattern changes and he, he wasn't trying to lie to her. He wasn't trying to pretend this is the kind of guy I am. It was just a spontaneous thing in that early stage. And so this is the pattern of, of many marriages that are really, you know, maybe going through a desert spell. Well, just how lonely she is, how lonely she can become for the kind of talk that he advertised, so to speak, that he inherently promised or implicitly promised her. But it changes for him, you know, and so what does she do? I mean, there are certain relationships that are, that are, you know, really at that extreme end of the end of the road kind of thing and where he just wants out and her impulse could be to chase him and say, please don't leave me, you know, and if he, if he felt stuck before, now he really feels stuck and now he even less sees her value because she's cringing and trying to hold on to him. And there are times I've seen this kind of happen where a woman said in that moment to her husband, and we could reverse the genders, of course, but what she says is, you know, I don't want you to leave me, but if, but if you're going to, you should go because I'm right. Because the day you do, I'm going to start getting over you. And that she, she holds her head high in that moment and does not chase and cling, but does just the opposite because what I've seen happen just in a few very dramatic instances was kind of there at the door. Because she responded that way, that there at the door, he looks back and, and suddenly can come to him. Do I want to lose? You know, do I want to lose this? Do I really want to yeah. lose her? And the fact that she compels him, chase me. If you're going to, if you're going to leave, you better, I don't want you to. It's going to break my heart, but I'm going to get over you. She says, you know, so yeah. I don't know if that kind of answers the question of, well, uh, I, th I think the answer really is rooted in Christ, and and if if my marriage is in some ways blessed, it's believe me, in my heart of hearts, I know it's just pure unmerited grace. It isn't, it isn't a set of strategies, but it but it is nurturing a life together, living under the cross, constantly overhearing each other confess our sins, you know, in the common service, just overhearing the person beside me is broken and and begs for God's mercy and receives it. I, I just think that does more for a couple being just living genuinely under the ministry of reconciliation. That does more for people than I think they themselves might realize. So why do I find myself after all these years of marriage so so happy? I think it's first of all, I married it I I'm married I made a good choice. <laughs> you know, I yeah. married a, I married a cheerful person, but mostly I married a person who is sensitive to the gospel. Um, person who can be broken over her sins, loves, l loves the forgiveness of sins, you know. Um, that's what I ascribe what might look like a successful marriage from the outside. I really ascribe it yeah. to the power of living in the gospel, you know. Um, uh, so, but what it, what it, I guess what I'm saying then is that why is it that I can honestly say I still am just so privileged to be with this woman? I, I just think it's, just a function of the gospel that God has continued to see 
in spite of actually who I actually am, con continued to see one um, that he was is pleased to call his own. You know, that he yeah. sees me. He sees me in that light. That this is the source of sort of. You know, having compassion too for the person that you're with. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just having compassion for everybody because, you know, I was thinking about this recently. Uh, this is maybe a segue or a tangent, but we've all been kind of schooled in the self esteem stuff, the self image stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. and self, self image. My, my one son in law taught me this. He's a, He's in grad school for psychology. Wonderful, wonderful young man. But so self-image that we've all kind of been schooled in is evaluative, right? You're making an evaluation mm -hmm. of yourself and what is it based on? I mean, it's based on all kinds of stuff that, that's really designed to eat us alive based on our intelligence or appearance right. or whatever. But this notion of compassion, even self-compassion is not evaluative. You, you just get it for being a human being. Jesus walking out into a crowd of people, um, has compassion on them. He's not evaluating them. He's just, you just get it for being part of the train wreck that God chose to have compassion instead of to condemn us as he could. And there's something about looking in the mirror and befriending the person there, having compassion, mm -hmm. you know, having compassion. And it isn't, you know, it isn't um, an alternative to repentance by any means, but it's like, how, how do I help a friend repent? I don't condemn them and say you suck and stuff. I, I help a friend repent by just peeling back and looking inside and, and, and knowing the regret over the things we find in ourselves and regretting deeply. But you would do that for a friend with a ready grace. You're just trying to get back to the grace. Just trying to get back to the, the wonder and the release of our forgiveness, right? And so why should a person treat themselves any with any less compassion than than God has? And so what I'm thinking now is I just I think this through with you is is we also have compassion for the people in our intimate relationships, you know. They're just human. You know, and they're, yeah. they're just they just are human and just like we are. And um if I can have compassion for all God's creatures, then I can certainly have it for people in my it extends to them. And it extends to the man in the mirror too. Yeah. You know, so these are just, you know, this is just the qualities that living a life of repentance under the cross. These are just the kind of things we become mindful of, right? Right. Um, as opposed to it. what I call Disney morality. And it's not my expression, but <laughs> Disney morality is that romance is the highest good right it's, romance is yeah. like the only only happiness that exists and nothing else is any and it just creates this expectation where you're with somebody and you make them your whole world and you, you make them a really truly a little god and and you demand of them to be that for you and it just it's it's what sets people up for a profound disappointment in one because no one is up to that yeah no one can yeah. do that that weight and the fact well, that living under the cross means I know my, my life is oriented toward my savior my God that's where my life is oriented and you are beside me and I thank God for the woman God put beside me but I don't you know to, to not turn with all of that need and expectation 
toward a fellow flawed creature, you know, it's just yeah. pure idolatry. And it's what, yeah, it's, uh, Disney, yeah, Disney morality. It's what, what our culture is so steeped in. Yeah. And to take that Disney idea even further, like what, what, where does the Disney movie end? Right. They're riding off in a carriage, they smooch <laughs> and, and it's all happily ever after. Um, yeah. and then you end up with, like, we've all heard analogies of the idea that, like when a man chases a woman, it's like a cat, like a, like a house cat chasing a mouse. And when it catches the mouse, it didn't know what to do with it, right? <laughs> exactly. Um, like, and we don't prepare ourselves for what comes next, and, and for that continuing relationship for the lifetime too. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Absolutely, All right. Sir. Well, we're button up against time here, so oh, um, okay. I really appreciate I really appreciate you being on and talking about it. Um, you said it's always a joy to have you on. I appreciate you setting out time for us. So. Um, oh, you bet. Really, it's a pleasure. really enjoy having you on. Um, if you want, if people want to reach out to you and talk about some of this, are you willing to do that? Oh, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And where could they find you? Oh, you want an email address, or what do you what do you suggest? I don't well, have... what, if somebody wanted to contact you, what would be the best way? Uh, email is a good way. Email is a good way. Yeah. And what's your email address? I'm, I'm, I'm so old school, you know. <laughs> uh, okay. <laughs> On Twitter, what's that? I don't even really know. Um, <laughs> I don't have a Twitter either. I don't know what's going on over there. Uh, here's my email. Uh, Paustima, that's P-A-U-S-T-I-M-A at M-L-C dash W-E-L-S dot E-D-U. All right. So if you want to reach out to Professor Dr. Pastor Mark Paustian, um, you can do that at his email address. Um, uh, we look forward to having you on again sometime. We appreciate the, the wisdom and insight you give us. Truly fascinating. The, the Lord has blessed you in some incredible ways. So, um, oh, glory, appreciate glory it, man. Believe me. All glory to him. Believe me. So. <laughs> yeah. Blessings yeah. in spite of our own, uh, of our own attempts, right? <laughs> yep. 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 Awesome. Hey, great talking well, to you, Charlie. Yeah, blessings on the end of your school year, brother. Okay, you take care of yourself. All right. Have a Bye-bye. good one. Well, yeah, blessings on the end of your school year, brother. Thank you for listening to the Gird Up Podcast. If you like what you're hearing on our podcast, make sure you're sharing it with friends and family, men in your life who you think need to hear our message. You can find us on social media, on Facebook under the Gird Up Podcast, and there's a Gird Up community as well there where you can interact with other men on the journey toward Christian manhood. You can find us on Instagram as girdup underscore like underscore a underscore man. If you'd like to help us bring our message to more men just like you all around the world, you can hit up our Patreon account. Type in www.patreon.com forward slash girdup. And finally, please leave a five-star rating or review on whatever platform you use to listen to our podcast, whether it's iTunes or Spotify. What that does is it helps us get more attention in the podcast world and bring more men to our message. Thank you again for listening to our podcast. Thank you for all the ways you support us and help spread the word. Until next time, go gird up and be the man that God created you to be.